0: So today's episode 144 of the Jimmy's Table.com podcast, and I'm going to talk about a time without war. So here's a question for you. Has there ever been a time in human recorded history that there wasn't an ongoing war somewhere in the world? Well, according to some historians in human recorded history, there's been 268 years in, in recorded human history in which there was no wars anywhere around the globe. Although, of course, there are some historians who also dispute this because exactly how you define what constitutes a war differs among historians. But whatever the case, whether there's been 268 years with, without any wars faced throughout the globe or whether we've always been at war, I do find this some sort of inspiring sort of thought that however you define war, there's at least been some rare instances, at least 268 years in recorded human history, in which there was a question as to whether or not there was really a war, or whether it was just some sort of mild fighting, or, or whatever. However you choose to define it. Whatever the case, I find that like, hey, you know, maybe th- there can be a world without war, or at least very minimal conflict. However... And saying that this is inspiring, (laughs) it's also kind of depressing to think about at the end of the day. Because of all the thousands of years of recorded human histories, historians have maybe, maybe been able to find 268 years in which there was no war. And that's disputed and deserves an asterisk mark. (laughs) Such, you know... In the grand scheme of things, when you think of how many thousands of years human civilization has existed and how long we've been recording our history, 268 years is also kind of bleak. It kind of gives the impression that war just seems almost to be an inevitable feature of a civilized world. Which, of course, is ironic because being civilized means the opposite it would seem to be. About making war you don't usually think of civilization and war necessarily in the same breath war seems much more one of those sort of barbaric terms like you, you think of war and you think of barbarians you don't think of civilized intelligent organized societies and people you think of of people who are just you know kind of the scoundrels of the earth that only exists to wage war Yet, arguably, it's because of our ability to organize ourselves into civil societies that war is ultimately possible to begin with. For, quote-unquote, civilization, as we know it, is fundamentally about people with shared dreams, goals, aspirations, beliefs, and values that decide to get together cooperatively and organize themselves into larger groups so that they can better interact with each other and thrive As human beings. We prefer that over a very anarchist sort of world in which everybody just does what is right in their own eyes. Um, We much more prefer people like try to collaborate on things together. And all this organization though, all this collaborating, all this pulling of our resources, thoughts, values, beliefs, creeds, and, and all those sort of things together, ultimately gets us into a world in which there are political dynamics centered around power and how that power is ultimately to be vested in a group or individuals or somewhere in between. Of course, once we have an organized society and people who are gathered together around fundamentally shared dreams, goals, aspirations, beliefs, values, and all that sort of stuff, we also automatically form people who are outside that society, and you get other societies out there that exist in which people organize themselves at odds with one another against the society that they're not a part of. (laughs) And should the tensions and dynamics of that group escalate enough between those two societies, you know, Ultimately, they're going to enter into some disputes and conflicts between one another. And those disputes and conflicts with one another may be solved on very sort of micro-level, person-to-person interactions or maybe some sort of treaties across borders and, and things like that that kind of govern the interactions of two opposed societies uh, amongst each other. But sometimes those things break down. And when they break down... Those two societies, those two civil societies, ultimately find themselves at war with one another at some level. And these wars are only possible because people are willing to take up arms in an organized fashion or to give power to others who are willing to fight on their behalf. For all the justifications that may be used and invoked in the name of why war needs to be waged in order to solve the disputes that we have between two organized civil societies, All war, ultimately, ultimately when you get down to it, is a fight over power and the ability of one society to bend the will of another society with that power. Even the war in Ukraine and Russia is fundamentally about the dynamics of power. Yes, it's certainly true that there's a a very real sense of good versus evil in this war. Vladimir Putin is clearly an unhinged, evil dictator using the might of his country to try to take over a neighboring vulnerable country who is, who's, you know, at the end of the day, probably going to lose, or if they don't lose, they'll, they'll come to a stalemate, but only with such a great number of casualties that they might as well have lost. But without a doubt, what Vladimir Putin is doing is evil. And we understand the Ukrainians deciding to fight against this evil, but while it's very true that the war between Ukraine and Russia is very much in a sense a battle between good and evil, I find explanations like that ultimately too simplistic, and it doesn't help us really think about what war actually is. This war, and and the nature of all wars, is ultimately a fundamental fight over the dynamics of power, and about how that power of one group is to be used and exercised over that of another group. And whether or not that group is going to allow that group to exercise that power over them. All war, let I say this clearly, all war is ultimately a fight over who has power over whom. Such is the true nature of war. And in this instance, the war in Ukraine against Russia is about the power of the Ukrainian people to democratically elect their own leaders and to govern themselves and to be free from the entanglements of all outside influences. Or it's a war to go ahead and concede whatever power they thought they had and possibly in the process their freedoms and their lives to that of a tyrant who thinks all power should be centralized, centralized around him And that he has the power to take over another territory and to make it subject to him simply as an exercise of his will. So where am I going with this analysis, you may ask? Believe it or not, I ultimately want to impress upon you the minds of an image of hope. I know it doesn't seem like what I've said too much so far is all that hopeful, Everything sounds kind of dire and bleak and just not like something you want to be a part of. But sometimes I've learned over the years you need to look into the darkness in order to see the twinkling of the lights. And as someone who has spent a lot of time in his life at some point looking into the darkness, I got to say, even in the midst of this war with Ukraine and Russia, as much Dread as may fill my heart, as much darkness may cloud my mind. I find a part of me is still alive with hope. And that hope is a world without war. For our world has arguably never known such a world, or at best, but a fleeting moment or two. 268 years, perhaps, throughout the history of human civilization. And while the world might be a much more peaceful place over the last few decades, especially compared to, to prior decades and centuries like when World War I and World War II took place and much of the Middle Ages and, and all the times between those times and the times before those times. As much as the world may be relatively peaceful in comparison to many past years, as we can see with this war between Ukraine and Russia, though, whatever peace may exist on our globe is a very fragile peace. War might be less common numerically than it was in years gone by, but as we've been made well aware with this war between Russia and Ukraine, the possibility that this war or the next war or the war after that could escalate into a possible global war in which humanity, which has armed itself with thousands upon thousands of nuclear missiles capable of evaporating the Earth's atmosphere and destroying all life from this rock that we are spinning on in space. This means that we always live in a danger across the world in which we are perpetually on the brink of annihilation simply because of the thirst of power that our civilized societies have. So where's the hope? Where's the hope, you might ask, because all this sounds really ominous. I know it's, it's heavy stuff to think about. But I'm not without hope. Like I said, I'm alive with hope because I find hope from a famous vision of the prophet Isaiah in, in the Old Testament, who once saw in a vision in which the world was finally at peace. Let me read briefly from this passage. It's, it's one of my favorite passages from the Bible. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and will be raised above all the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law of the Lord will go out from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many nations, and he will mediate for many peoples. And They will beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again will they learn more. Isaiah's vision is that ultimately of the kingdom of God being established in this world. Of an establishment in which men no longer find the need to clamor and fight over power. Isaiah sees a world in which men beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. To take the weapons of their warfare and transform them into instruments only fit for gardening. That's an amazing vision. It's an amazing vision that should arrest us, especially as we live in a world full of despair and darkness in which powers are clamoring for power against other nations, in which there's always the threat or there's always an act of war. But you might ask, how do we get from where we are now in this world to the world that Isaiah sees. And you know, I'm not going to lie. That path isn't 100% clear to me. The path's not 100% clear to me. But what is clear from the vision of Isaiah is that we won't ever get to this world that we see in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, without hope. And we won't get there without having this vision deeply imprinted on our hearts and on our minds. It's a prophetic vision that we need to learn to see for ourselves and to see it clearly as Isaiah saw it. For when Isaiah preached this prophecy and conveyed this vision, it wasn't just something that he was painting of an idealistic world that we can never ultimately participate in, of of some world on the great beyond over yonder that will always forever remain aloof and distance from us. It's a vision that he cast so that we could adjust our hearts now in the present and to bring that future vision to some degree in the world we live in today. But that transformation, that hope of the future world, cannot exist unless the vision and hope of what Isaiah preached finds its way into our hearts and our minds and is burned there. So it's something that we bleed. Something that pulses through our veins. Something that rests our hearts. A vision that is so clear that we see it as clearly as Isaiah once saw it. For without that vision being burned into the core of who we are, we'll always just continue to be one civilized society clamoring for power and making war against other civilized societies and always find ourselves in a perpetual state of fighting a war of good versus evil. So let us take hope Let this vision imprint itself upon our hearts and our minds and let it break into the world that we are living in now because we won't experience that world unless we allow the future to invade the present. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey. Episode 144 of the Jimmy's Table podcast, A Time Without War. If you've enjoyed this podcast or would like to talk to me more about some of the ideas I've presented in it, whether you like it or disagree with them, uh, you know, email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com or if you want to go to the jimmystable.com website, you can find links to Facebook and Twitter um, in which you can interact with me through Facebook and Twitter. Um, If you've enjoyed this podcast, I would highly encourage you Leave a glowing, sincere five-star review. Make, let's make, let's like make the world a more beautiful and peaceful place by making five-star reviews for the JimmyStable.com uh, podcast. So you can go over on Apple and Spotify and leave your glowing five-star review so you can tell everybody how absolutely inspired and wonderful you found this podcast. And in doing so, you will make the world a better place, a war a, 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 a place in which maybe we no longer learn war. <laughs> So don't make me twist my arm, or don't make me twist your arm too hardly about that, though. Uh, and if you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to continue to follow it, uh, you can do so through your favorite means, Apple, Spotify, Google, and all the other places that podcasts are broadcast. Um, and you can find links to that easily at jimmystablecom slash subscribe. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey with Jimmy'sTable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless.